Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet. I am Diana Clark, and today I am joined by Jay Bercrania, who is the CEO and co-founder of Signet Education, along with Sheila Akbar, who is the president and COO and a resident admissions and test prep expert for Signet. Jay co-founded Signet Education after graduating in 2005 from Harvard and found the idea that there would be more supports helping people develop what they are going to need to overcome challenges and make successful decisions in college. Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, Jay and Sheila. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, as I was saying, Signet Education was founded to help students and parents navigate school successfully. Tell us about your backgrounds and why you started Signet and what you love about doing it. Sure. I'll take this first. My background uh, is is quite uh, varied. Um, in high school and college, I'll say that, that kind of the general theme in terms of why I started uh, Signet Education um, with a friend of mine and what what our goals were were was really to express this desire that I've had since a kid, since I was a kid to just um, educate and grow uh, through relationships. So in high school and college, I was either started or led um, three different organizations uh, that had to do with mentorship and tutoring. And funny enough, when I graduated, I was like, what should I do with my life? It didn't even occur to me that, that <laughs> I should actually take that as data. Um, That's hilarious. And I was also a musician at the time, um, and I was very passionate about music. So I thought for some time that my life trajectory was going to be as a professional musician. And I was um, tutoring on the side and eventually kind of came to the realization that music wasn't really what was calling me. It was education, one-on-one education specifically, and then the act of creating a company around that practice to, to try to reach this ideal that, that I have I've, I've had for a long time in my mind of a company that could, could do what we're doing. And that was all kind of pretty, pretty close to after college. And it's been just a great uh, and amazing ride since then, just really trying to bring this vision to life. I would imagine that the same process you used to decide to embark upon Signet education, like using clues about your history, is part of the process you use with students when they're looking for schools. Is that right? A hundred percent. You know, there are a couple of uh, big ideas or principles that I'd say undergird what we do at Signet. And one of them is that, you know, we really, we, we have to, we call it, you have to zigzag. Um, to really find your place in the world. And that's a big part of what we're doing is trying to empower people to find their place in the world. And you have to do something for a little while and then get the information from that. How did it work for you? How did you do at it? How did you like it? How sustainable is it? Uh, and then decide what to do next. And it's kind of this 
ping-ponging or zigzagging until you get closer and closer and closer to um you know this this idea that that there's there's something out there or maybe a set of things that we can all find that are meaningful to us that the world needs right where we can make a living from and that we're good at uh and we see that success su- success with so that's certainly a underlying principle of what, how we work with our families and students but Sheila I'd be curious to hear what you think about that yeah me too Sure. Yeah. It's always interesting, Jay, to hear you talk about your journey towards this because um, my journey was so different. Um, mm-hmm. I <laughs> worked my way into Signet. Jay and I are old friends. We went to college together. Uh, and I had been doing a number of other things. I worked on Wall Street. I worked in recruiting. Um, I worked in publishing for a little bit. And then I decided to go back to grad school and I uh, did two PhDs. I, I work on literature and, and some foreign languages. Um, and I was writing my dissertation and I, you know, loved teaching and I needed uh, to pay the bills because grad school doesn't pay. And um, so I, I linked back up with Jay and started tutoring and, and soon just saw, you know, saw his vision for um, the services that we provide at Signet and uh, for building a really beautiful company and, and group of educators. Um, was so inspired by that and, and uh, frankly, liked it more than doing my, my dissertation work. And, and that kind of is what drew me in. And I've been with Signet for 11 years now and really have loved every minute of it. And it's, you know, questions like yours, Diane, that, you know, keep me coming back to this. There's always a new challenge. Um, every student is so unique. And it is a little bit of a puzzle to help them put it together about, um, you know, drawing on these past clues that you're, you mentioned, um, things that you have always been drawn to, things that you've liked in the past, things that you have been told you're good at or you recognize that you're good at, things that you draw, you know, satisfaction and meaning from, and helping students kind of explore all of those things to figure out what could their path be. And there are always multiple paths, right? So it's really exciting and uh, rewarding to help students navigate all of those twists and turns because, you know, I myself went through all of them. I know Jay, you did too. And it just feels so, so good to be able to give back in a way and to pass on, you know, the knowledge that we've gained through all of our trials and tribulations to make some, you know, additional use of that. It feels really great. I like that. So Jay, you started the business in 2005. Has your vision shifted? Great question. I would say it's it's evolved. Um, you know, there's some core parts of it that are still the same. And there are parts that have definitely, that I have now of it, that, that just required the experience that we've gone through in order to even formulate. So, uh, for example, we founded the, the organization with the idea that relationships are what drive education. And we, we've always been one-on-one and we've always believed that when you sit down across from a student or, or with a student and you're working with them, the most important factor in whether or not that student will be able to successfully meet their goals or become educated in the work we do is the relationship that you have. If you've got a great relationship, um, that opens all the doors to, to or, or opens many of the doors, probably not all, <laughs> to, to success in academics because that's when you can create trust, you can create vulnerability, you can understand where a student's real weaknesses and fears are, you can push them, you can celebrate with them. And it's something that, that you know, as, as we all know, people, especially teenagers, they can smell when somebody's being inauthentic quite easily. 
And it's that authenticity mm-hmm. of relationship that really opens things up for success. And it makes it way more fun for everyone. And so that's been a guiding principle from day one. But uh, something that's changed or evolved, for example, is when we first started, we we focused primarily on test prep and academic tutoring. Um, but now we're thinking over the years, we've developed several different capacities. And we now think about the whole academic journey, typically in high school or starting a little bit before high school, to and through college. And we really think about this from a much broader perspective than just your test prep and your tutoring. Um, so the seeds of that relationship, the whole holistic, yeah, exactly, uh, much broader than just getting into college. So those seeds were there, but it took years of doing things to have them kind of watered and sprouted into into what we what we have as a vision now. Do you work with people who have executive functioning struggles or learning disabilities? And if so, what are some methods that you use to engage a student who really is having difficulty? Sure. Yeah, it's it's something we do quite a bit of. I'm very familiar, and Sheila will probably be smiling. We can't see her on, on camera here, but <laughs> she'll be smiling. I'm very familiar with executive function challenges because I have, uh, you know, many of them, uh, perhaps all of them myself. And uh, as a part of, you know, our service for that actually grew out of my own trying to figure out how do I run this business in my life. And at, at one point I was in early on, I was in music school. Um, how do I try to do all these things? And I started to develop tools and, and um, kind of techniques to do it. And eventually that then um, over time, very slowly evolved into our practice of, of, of working with students with executive function challenges. And I'd say that, the, you know, there, there are tons of specific things that we could cite, you know, how to keep a task list or calendar or do a daily wrap up or a check in. But really what I think is the meta uh, principle here that we're always trying to work on is to have students to hold and create space and trust and inquiry for students such that they can start to reflect on their own journey and their own practice and say, okay, I'm having trouble here. Why? What's going on? What specifically is causing me challenges? And then how do I start the process of building a structure for myself with, of course, the help of a coach um, and many other people in in their lives to then meet that specific challenge? Because while there are clearly diagnoses and, 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 and ways to say, well, this student has weakness in task initiation, or this student has a weakness of, um, you know, g- general executive function, or this student is, you know, has a, a slow processing speed. None of that actually translates directly into a straight line to, well, task initiation means you have to approach it this way. There's, there's always the complexity of the human being, <laughs> the emotions, everything else involved. And so really um, what we're trying to do with our students at that kind of a, a ground level before we even start thinking about specific tools and techniques, which we do a lot of, um, we're really trying to create that, that habit of reflection and un- self-understanding that then allows us to build something on really solid ground for them when it comes to what kind of task list to use and what kind of check in and what kind of how to keep track of your assignments and how to start papers early and chunk things up. All of that stuff has to be built on what's really actually the challenge and what's really going on. And the student really has to be engaged and, 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 you know, want to build that. So, so that's kind of the thing I would offer you is that meta skill of 
reflection and, and self-understanding that then gives us the foundation to build on top of. If I can add something here, uh, one of the things I think that is so, um, frankly, it's just radical to some parents when I talk to them about this is that we trust the student to start to solve some of these problems for themselves. And of course, we're not going to set them afloat and, you know, expect them to do it overnight. We're there to support them, offer suggestions, help them struggle through that reflection process and identifying, you know, what are the sticking points? Why is this hard? And help them, you know, iterate until they get to a solution that actually works for them. But there's so many families that say, well, if my kid had any idea what the problem was, they would have solved it. Or if my kid knew what to do, we wouldn't need you. They would have done it by now. You can't just leave the student to figure this out. And actually, I think that's half the battle is creating the space for a student to feel safe in exploring what some solutions may be, or even just exploring what the problem might be. They've never really been given the opportunity to do that. And in that way, um, this is a real growth opportunity for them to just take ownership of their lives and, and their struggles. And I think that is a, a very different way of approaching this than a lot of other people do. So like Jay said, we have a lot of tools. We'll teach you how to use a calendar. We have systems and uh, routines and, and all sorts of things that we can do. But um, it's really got to start with that student taking that ownership and taking that initiative and uh, going on that journey with the coach to figure out which tools and, and exactly how and when to implement them. That's really going to make the difference. So what I'm hearing is you're teaching students not just what to do, but how to think. And then in the thinking, they will be growing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, a very nice way of putting it. Yeah, you, you summed up <laughs> quite a few minutes of my conversation, but I think it's teaching them how to think. And there's another piece of this, which is also helping them to connect with, well, let me put it another way. So education is typically kind of, we're, we're marched through the way that our educational system works. We're typically marched through with a couple of choices here and there, um, an educational journey. And that educational journey doesn't, um, it doesn't really fit anyone perfectly, but it, uh, for a lot of people, it fits them very imperfectly. And what's really important, in addition to teaching students how to think, is teaching them how to actually understand like their own journey. What is their vision? What are they trying to accomplish? Is, is college right for them? Which college is right for them? How do they, how do they contextualize the experience that they're being forced frankly, to go through uh, with who they are and then connect those dots. Because if you can do that, then you, you, you've you solved, you know, so many of the other challenges that students face are symptoms of just not having a, a good sense of what they're up to and why. Um, so I'd say it's teaching them how to think. And when we say think, it's think about their whole life in context uh, uh, with their education, not just how to solve an SAT problem or a you know, how to keep organized better, get more things turned in on time. So you're dealing with issues that are really going to the heart of parental expectations, right? Where they're going to go to college, how well they're going to do, how do I explain this to my friends, my family that my loved one may not want or be college bound. And even if they are, how do we keep or you encourage parents to allow the kids to go through the admission process and not them. How do you get the parents to back off a little bit and set some healthy boundaries <laughs> around it? 
That's a great, great question. I think part of what we do is we set expectations so clearly. Our core values include things like uh, collaborate, uh, teach students, not subjects. And by sort of foregrounding things like that, not the results, but actually the process, I think we scare away some of the parents who really want to go through this process for themselves, as you're saying. But it is certainly a process of education for the parents as well as the students. And what we really believe is if you do this process right, meaning if you look at your education as a catalyst for personal growth, not just a means to an end, you know, a a means to a college degree and a career. Um, If you think about it as the place where you get to learn who you are, where you fit in the world, and, you know, how you want to interact with the world, then it becomes, I think, a lot easier to think about the college process as something for the student that the parents are supporting. And we really want students to think about what is meaningful to them, both in terms of academic subjects, possible careers, um, you know, their extracurriculars, things like that. And where do they have room for improvement? You know, what are their strengths? And then also connect those sorts of things to goals around what they'll get out of a college experience. So it's not about what kind of college you want to go to in terms of a, you know, reputation or a ranking or, you know, a tier. It's more of what kind of opportunities do you want to and need to pursue in college in order to become the kind of person you want to become. And so it kind of reframes the whole process and we can really focus on the student and what they need and what their goals are. And then the natural byproduct of that is a good common a good college application. You know, the application ends up being just the documentation of those things that they're already doing in their high school career, as opposed to the reason they're doing all those things in their high school career, if that makes sense. It makes total yeah, sense and- because I went the wrong route in raising my son. I kept saying, you know, this counts and I can't be alone. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, it's also, um, you, you know, when, when we think about students who are taking a non-traditional path or who maybe are in college but need to take a break, um, you, we can't say that we're successful in all cases in, in c- connecting with the parents and helping them to see things the way that, you know, we see them. Um, but when we are successful, often we're actually leaning on our experience. We've worked with thousands of students um, for over a decade and we can tell stories about, you know, of course, anonymously, but about students that we've worked with that have thrived. And on the flip side, students that we've worked with that haven't thrived who have a similar, who have been in a similar situation. And we can help parents to understand, you know, there's a, there's a whole narrative and a whole life that they're dealing with that's theirs. And then there's what their children are going through. And of course that's, that's intertwined, but you know, our goal is to try to help them understand that at the, at the heart of it, most parents want what, what is best for their children. And we try to then help paint a picture of, this is where this option might lead you, or this is where this kind of thinking might lead you. This is where this kind of thinking might lead you based on our experience. You want what's best for your kid. You know, how do you want to navigate this? And another piece of this is we really try to get the, the, the student involved in the discussion um, as quickly and as early as possible. But some of this is just hard. Some parents, it's going, it's, we have to be honest and we have to accept the fact that it's going to be really difficult for them to tell the rest of their family that, 
their son or daughter is not going to finish college or is not going to college anymore. That's, I mean, it's nearly impossible in certain cases. Mm -hmm. And so we also have to just be really compassionate with that. And, and there are times where we have to kind of problem solve and we have to say, okay, we understand that this piece is really valuable to you. We disagree. (laughs) We think it's going to lead you in a direction that could be challenging, but since it is something that's important to you, how do we actually get this done in a way that then doesn't have, have a negative impact with the students? So there's also some creative problem solving that can happen there too. Have you noticed any shifts during the pandemic with mental health issues? I know that parents are struggling, you know, teaching their kids at home, or there's a lot of people in the, the same roof. Um, adolescents are struggling as well. That's got to impact what you folks are doing. What have you been seeing? Mm-hmm we saw just a tremendous rise in interest in our coaching services because so many students who really relied on the structure of school and the relationships with their teachers in person or even with their peers that they were seeing on a regular basis to provide the kind of executive function <laughs> support and structure that, uh, that um, you know, they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, when they went to remote schooling, it all just kind of fell apart. Um, and a lot of students realized, or a lot of families realized that their students had uh, executive function issues or maybe even an undiagnosed learning disability. And I would say almost to the same frequency, we saw a lot of people saying, huh, remote schooling is so much better for my kids than in-person schooling. Mm. They're more rested. They're not dealing with like this sort of social distraction and, um, you know, high school dynamics that can be so uh, stressful, stressful and cause a lot of anxiety for students. And they're just so much more focused and happier. And in fact, they're, they're excelling in their academic work because they're allowed to move at, you know, a pace that's more suitable to them or what have you. So uh, we saw kind of both sides of that. But absolutely, the pandemic did, I would say, increase demand for supplemental academic uh, support. And it's really opened up a lot of really great opportunities, I think, think for us in order to work with families in sort of a more comprehensive way, which is really the vision. Uh, Instead of just offering, you know, test prep or algebra tutoring, we can really help them think about the bigger picture. Um, And I think that's one of the things that the pandemic called into question for a lot of people, right? Whether it was about their career path or their educational path or their family (laughs) set up their living situation, you know, all of these things, people started to wonder, is this really the best I can do? And so um, it's opened up a lot of great conversations. So I just want to step back just a little. A lot of what you're doing is helping kids figure out who they are, who they want to be, what that path would look like, but also navigating that process with parents. And I think the worst example of parents actually owning their kids' college admission process is the admissions bribery scandal. Has that impacted what you guys do or how you approach things at all? I'll I'll take a stab and then Sheila, I'd love to hear okay. your, your take on it too. Because we were so far from that from from the start, and as Sheila mentioned earlier, because we emphasize process so much, um, you know, I think a lot of the clients that ended up choosing us were not really in that mind space anyways. But a couple of things happened. So I do think that in the wake of that scandal a lot more people were actually interested in hiring a college admissions consultant because 
they started to realize that this this is not just a put your head down, do your best, submit an application, and and you know you'll get you'll get to the right place. That you know that a lot of people are spending lots of money on on helping their kids get a leg up. And so I think that there's probably generally more interest in it as a whole. I think that you know there's always been a bit of skepticism about what college admissions consultants do. I think that was fueled. But generally speaking, I don't think it really changed what we do. And and kind of in contrast of, of you know, helping families get a leg up in a, in a college admissions process, our process is really about how you just framed it, Diana, which is we're really helping them to understand who they are and where does that lead them versus saying, okay, you want to go to Harvard, uh, Princeton, or MIT, how do we shape you into that mm. and there's sort of a, a metaphor that that i've heard and and i like to use and in fact i was using it before i heard it but now the person who wrote who wrote it is actually way more famous and educated than i am so i can't claim it um, but it's the carpenter and the gardener i use sculptor and gardener so in some cases you can think of the college admissions process as like a, a you know a sculpture where you're, you've got a student who's like a block of stone and you've got to take your hammer and chisel out and you've got to carve them in the image that um, that you think the college wants. And there are lots of people out there doing that. And that's essentially what this bribery scandal was, right? To literally create an image in certain cases of a student in, in a form that the college would want. Um, whereas our approach is really each student is like a seed and you've got to nurture that seed and you've got to see what grows. And then once you start to see that plant that's growing, you've got to figure out where's the best place for me to plant this plant to get what it needs. And for some kids that of course is a place like, you know, Harvard or Princeton or, you know, any top notch school. And for other students, it's, you know, we need a smaller school with um, intimate teacher-student relationships with a sort of culture that uh, prizes intellectual curiosity ab- above all, and it's in a rural setting, right? That's where this this kid is going to thrive. And so our job is really to think about it from that angle. And again, because we're so far from that sculptor mindset, which is really what that whole bribery scandal was about, it really, you know, I think it had some effect on us, but you know, it's it pretty pretty quickly passing. Sheila, what do you think? I'll just add, you know, Diana, when I heard your question, I was thinking about what did we do different operationally? And the answer is sort of nothing, because we've always operated with a lot of integrity. You know, we're a member of the National Association of College Admissions Counselors, which stipulates some very clear ethical guidelines, you know, and um, every one of our admissions consultants has to sign off on that. They have to sign off and really demonstrate that they understand and can live up to our core values, which we take very seriously. They're not just like a pretty sign on the wall for us. They're really part and parcel of everything that we do and how we operate, whether it's how we treat clients, how we work with students, how we treat each other as colleagues. And so, you know, the culture at Signet is is just so full of integrity and full of a sense of wanting what's best for a student and wanting to help a student understand you know, define and understand what's best for themselves that, you know, we didn't have to change anything, really. Maybe, if, if anything, we talked more about those values than than before, but um, they had always been, been a big part of uh, everything we do. Thank you. So, last question. In working with affluent families, because you must, um, are there specific challenges 
to working with kids of multi-generational wealth or kids who have trust funds than kids who are being supported independently by their parents? Yeah, I have um, had some pretty lengthy discussions with several of my students on this topic. And the one thing that initially comes up when you ask that question is there is a stark difference in the need to move forward between a, a, a student or family that has uh, a still take, for example, a student that doesn't have to work and knows that they don't have to work versus a student who's, you know, who knows they have to go and get a job. There's just a different orientation to their education or a need for an education, frankly, that a, that, that, that a student with, who knows they don't have to work has, um, not always, but often than a student who, who knows that, look, they, they are responsible for servicing their student loans. And so what it creates is actually it's a space where they have less external that is potentially driving them. And sometimes that space is filled with family expectations. And, you know, if they're part of a family business, it might be, you know, you're, you're going to at least navigate to this point in the business. And we see that. And, and often that can be very positive, though sometimes it can be very challenging. But, you know, I've seen several situations where the student was literally just paralyzed from, uh, from, from their ability to move forward was not there because they had no actual need to move forward. And so that's where it becomes really important to dig in and to help a student start to connect to what is it that they're trying to do with their own life? Because they don't necessarily have to do X, Y, or Z thing that most other people around them in their school and in college have to do. And that's a long journey and, you know, often involves multiple, multiple people helping. That could be, could be us on the academic and, and sort of the coaching side. There's generally, we like to work in conjunction with a, a therapist um, and I, ideally, if we can work, uh, you know, in conjunction with the whole family, that makes sense too. But really, there's sometimes a need to find a different, a source of motivation that's typically different than the source of motivation that m many people going to, to college have kind of ready-made for them. What do you see, Sheila? Well, first, I want to clarify, I think you're talking about people who need to work during college versus people no, who don't No, I'm need talking to work about people who may right? never need after. to work. I'm talking about so so for me I'm I'm kind of talking about yeah exactly what what Diana what you just said people okay. literally never have to work a day in their lives they know they've lived a charmed life from early on and everybody wants them to go to college but they're like well I could or I couldn't but like it doesn't really matter right. yeah <laughs> you know, of course I, there's I expectation the but there's no wind in the sails yeah. Right, right. I definitely know what you're talking about. There is a, a, a kind yeah. of um, a kind of inertia, right? That's, yes. that's in. Yes. And then a malaise. Yes. And it's just like, oh, yes. you know, what do I do with myself? There's not, no one expects anything of me. So yes. uh, it's hard for them to think about what do they expect of themselves. So yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, one of the other things that I would talk about is just, just the expectations. The college admissions process has changed just radically in the last 15 years, right? It, it has gotten so much more competitive. I mean, every year and last year was, uh, of course, the pinnacle of it. Hopefully it won't be as brutal this year, but um, it, it gets more and more competitive. You know, more and more students are submitting applications to more and more colleges. And that means the admissions rates are just going down, down, down. And um, it's, it's very, very difficult. And I think one of the things that uh, comes out of that is that parents, uh, parents' memory of 
the admissions process and their expectations of it are often not calibrated to the reality, right? Part of it is, you know, they think their their child is the best. We all think our children are the best, of course. But part of it is also they just, when they were applying to college, it wasn't nearly as competitive as it is now. And so the expectations can be very, very different. And it can be very difficult to talk to somebody or to educate somebody who has always had everything they wanted about how this process may not yield exactly what they want. Um, and this is not a process that can be controlled in the way they may be able to control other things, given their you know, financial means. And then the expectations on the other side from, from students who maybe their family is going to struggle to pay for them to go to college, they tend to have lower expectations of themselves than they probably should. The idea that, you know, what we think of as top tier colleges are only made for the elite classes, that's a, a self-perpetuating myth in a lot of ways because, um, or a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways because, you know, some students just feel like they don't belong at that kind of university, so they're not even going to bother applying. And then, you know, it ends up becoming that way where um, those universities have to work very hard to create diversity and, uh, you know, other universities don't. So it is interesting how that plays out. We definitely work with um, a lot of different types of students, but I think uh, what Jay is saying is really connected to that sense of expectations as well. Uh, you know, their expectations of themselves versus expectations of the family. Yeah, to, to follow on with that, Sheila, you know, there are a lot of things that money can make easier and, and to some extent can buy. And as, we, as we've seen, that can even operate in the college process itself. But for all its, you know, quirks and, and issues and foibles, um, you know, the, the U.S. college process tends to not directly take that into account. Of course, indirectly, students having the privilege of having test prep and tutors and great schools their whole lives, of course, that takes that, that sort of plays into account. But it's kind of like uh, it can be a rude awakening because it's like, well, what, what do you mean I can't go to this school? Of course I can go to this school. I went to this this elementary school. I went to this high school. I had a tutor for this and I had a, I, I play this sport. Like, why can't I go to this school? And it might be the student or it might even be the parents saying that. And for us to just explain that, look, you know, all of those things are, are, you know, taken into account, but there's no way to quote unquote game this system. It, you know, it, it, it's, it can be very challenging uh, for some students and families, but sometimes it can be a really powerful opportunity to grow. So it's just all a matter of how to, how one navigates through there. And, and we look at our our work as really helping people to navigate uh, as gracefully as possible through some of these sometimes really difficult situations. I imagine that. Well, I want to thank you both, Jay and Sheila from Signet Education, for joining me today on Beyond the Balance Sheet. For our listeners, I hope that you will like us on whatever platform you listen to this podcast. Thank you again. Thank you, Diana. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.